uh, Bill Cook get us into the topic and kind of give us a nice precursor to understanding what it's all about. Bill, take it away. Well, first of all, it's a bit of a bear, if you will excuse the pun, to define the boundaries of this genre. I mean, what do we include? What do we exclude? If we're considering it to be a subgenre of horror and science fiction, uh, we can take away movies like The Edge and The Ghost in the Darkness because they prominently feature marauding animals, but they're also considered dramas, thrillers, or adventures. They're not driven by a core desire to frighten, which is the objective of a horror film, nor do they present a fantastical element that we might associate with science fiction. Also excluded are horror and science fiction movies that contain an animal attack scene, but the attacking animal is not the main thrust of the story. For example, there's a horrifying major sequence in The Legend of Hell House where a cat attacks and seriously wounds the psychic played by Pamela Franklin. But otherwise, the picture is a haunted house movie. Likewise, The Omen contains a couple of very memorable scenes with dogs, as well as a baboon attack. But these are isolated sequences out of a film that is about the coming of the Antichrist. I think most would agree that the archetypal film in the animal attack subgenre is Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds, which was released in 1963. However, there were some definite precursors in the 1950s that I think deserve some mention. In that decade, we had a rash of films about animals blown up in size from the effects of atomic bomb testing, nuclear radiation. Many of these were bugs, such as the ants and them, tarantula, the deadly mantis, the black scorpion, the giant leeches, and many more. Yes, cities, nations, even civilization itself, threatened with annihilation because in one moment of history-making violence, Nature, mad, rampant, wrought its most awesome creation. For born in that swirling inferno of radioactive dust were things so horrible, so terrifying, so hideous. There is no word to describe them. The Incredible Shrinking Man was different from the typical atomic creature feature of the time in that it flipped the formula. This time, it is the human hero who is the one infected by radiation, and the monsters he faces are just ordinary animals, a house cat and a spider, that become objects of terror as he shrinks ever smaller. There was a very early Roger Corman cheapie from 1955 titled The Beast with a Million Eyes. In it, an alien intelligence takes over the minds of various animals, a dog, a cow, a flock of birds, to stage the attacks on a confused farm family. And in 1956, George Powell, the producer of The War of the Worlds and The Time Machine, gave us The Naked Jungle, in which African plantation owner Charlton Heston wages war against a relentless horde of army ants. Also worth mentioning are two 1950s movies based on classic literature. The Track of the Cat is a 1954 Western drama based on the novel by Walter Van Tilburg Clark, in which opposed brothers hunt a man-killing panther that haunts the mountains around their snowbound homestead. In addition, there was John Huston's 1956 adaptation of Herman Melville's Moby Dick. Neither of these movies can be classified as horror, but they deserve mention because of their influence on Jaws and other man-against-beast horror films to come. The template for the killer animal subgenre came in 1963 with Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. How do you do? My name is Alfred Hitchcock. 
and I would like to tell you about my forthcoming lecture. It is about the birds and their age-long relationship with man. It will be seen in theaters like this across the country. The Birds was Hitchcock's follow-up to his smash hit Psycho, and it was his attempt to once again scare the living hell out of audiences. Years earlier, he had bought the rights to a Daphne du Maurier short story titled The Birds, but he found it too short on plot to develop into anything. So instead, he took a couple of real-life bird attack stories from newspapers for inspiration and worked with a screenwriter to add human interest. In the opening scene, the main characters, played by Rod Taylor and Tippi Hendren, are seen perusing a bird shop filled with bird cages. By the film's end, we will see the tables turned, and it will be people shut in various cages, such as a phone booth, a boarded-up house, while massive flocks of birds attack from without. The interruption of a mundane status quo by sudden chaos and terror was a recurring theme in Hitchcock's work, and perhaps no better expressed than in The Birds. This was an extremely challenging film from a technical perspective. It required complex layering of real birds, moving mechanical props, and other special effects to visualize all these numerous attack scenes. In the end, The Birds was another artistic triumph for Hitchcock. Many people were frightened by its apocalyptic scenario of birds turning on mankind for no apparent reason, but others were frustrated by the film's lack of any explanation or resolution. Perhaps to temper this ambiguity, Hitchcock offered something of an explanation in the film's preview trailer, an amazing bit of comedy that runs over five minutes and doesn't include a single shot from the movie. Instead, Hitchcock welcomes us into his drawing room, and Whitley lectures us on man's age-long relationship with the noble birds, all while demonstrating hats plumed with plucked feathers and sitting down to carve a roasted chicken. Man and birds have been responsible for a great many advances in our civilization. For example, the bird was the inspiration for the invention of gunpowder, and it was his speed that brought about the development of the shotgun. But man has not been unmindful of his debt to the bird. We have honored our feathered friends in many ways. We cage birds and show them off proudly in most of our zoos. It's all a joke, of course, but the bird attacks in the actual film are no laughing matter. Their inexplicable nature has a nightmarish effect, feeling at times like violent physical manifestations of the character's suppressed emotions. I keep telling you, this isn't a few birds. These are gulls, crows, swifts. I have never known birds of different species to flock together. The very concept is unimaginable. Interestingly, while the birds would have a huge influence on the genre, the remainder of the 1960s was practically void of similar films. The only really notable one I can think of is The Deadly Bees, a British production directed by gothic horror specialist Freddie Francis. Its plot centers around a young, upper-class woman, not too dissimilar from Tippi Hendren in The Birds, headed to a quaint, out-of-the-way village for rest and relaxation, but instead becoming trapped in a deadly situation involving local honeybees turned killers. If we were to point to a particular time as being the golden age of the killer animal movie, it would be, without a doubt, the 1970s. And the movie that triggered the trend was a 1971 thriller titled Willard. This is Willard, and these are his friends, Ben and Socrates. 
Willard Stiles, the title character, is a young man of the Norman Bates variety. He's a shy, social outcast who lives in a large Gothic house. Unable to manage normal relationships, Willard befriends a nest of rats on his property. He learns to communicate with them, he trains them, and eventually sends them out to kill people who torment him. Where your nightmares end, Willard begins. Willard was a big box office hit and led to a string of imitators in the coming years. Stanley was essentially the same story, but with snakes. Kiss of the Tarantula featured a sociopathic girl who befriended spiders. To all the world, this is the face of a child of innocence and beauty. But behind this sweet mask of purity, there dwells a tormented mind filled with the most horrifying imagination. A mind bent and twisted, seething and crying out for revenge as she sends her playmates, the deadly tarantula, out to execute her insane desires for death. Jennifer, which was about a picked-on teenager with psychic abilities and a predilection for snake charming, simultaneously ripped off Willard and Brian De Palma's Carrie. In addition to Willard, 1971 also saw the theatrical release of a weird nature documentary, The Hellstrom Chronicle. In evolution's greatest irony, one of the first creatures to appear would be the last to remain. For incubating in the darkened womb of prehistory was a seed of grotesque variation, a fetus with the capability to dominate all. This film combines stunning macro photography of insect life with some rather sensational narration from the fear-mongering and fictional Dr. Hellstrom, who keeps asserting that ultimately mankind will lose against insects in the struggle for survival. To ramp up the horror, clips from 1950s monster bug movies like Them and The Naked Jungle are included. We can see the influence of this shockumentary in subsequent killer bug movies of the decade, such as Bug, in which a new super-intelligent breed of cockroach threatens mankind, and Phase 4, which presents a face-off between human scientists and rapidly evolving ants. In 1972, the movie Frogs introduced the theme of nature striking back at us for spoiling the environment, in this case by pollution. It would be a recurring theme throughout the genre's history, animals striking back and punishing mankind for sins against Mother Nature. Suppose nature gave a war and everybody came. The snakes, the birds, the lizards and frogs. And suppose that the polluters, the species on Earth called man, were the enemy in that war. In Kingdom of the Spiders, pesticides have destroyed the tarantula's natural prey, so they're out to eat us now. And in Day of the Animals, solar radiation from ozone layer depletion which was a real concern back then, causes wildlife and higher elevations to go berserk. God sent a plague down on us because we're just a bunch of no-good fellas. Sure are that, Sam. As frantic news reports stoked Americans' concerns over the Africanized killer bee crossing into North America, film producers were quick to exploit our fears with a rash of killer bee movies. Most of these were made for TV until the master of the disaster movie Producer Irwin Allen made a big-budget killer bee extravaganza in 1978, The Swarm. For more than 20 years, 
scientists have known that a swarm of killer bees has been headed towards the United States. Now, Warner Brothers presents Irwin Allen's The Swarm. We have visual contact. Identify. A black mass, sir. A moving black mass. We have been invaded by an enemy far more lethal than any human force. But by then, the buzz in this sub-sub-sub-genre was already fading, and The Swarm, which was an unbelievably stupid film, was a tremendous box office dud. At the decade's midpoint came the genre's most influential film. I'm talking, of course, about Steven Spielberg's Jaws. Based on a best-selling novel by Peter Benchley, Jaws told the tale of an unusually big and hungry great white shark terrorizing the beaches of a New England town. There is a creature alive today who has survived millions of years of evolution without change, without passion, and without logic. It lives to kill. The first half of the movie details a sheriff's investigation of the shark's serial attacks, even as the town readies for a gala 4th of July weekend. The second half becomes something like a watered-down Moby Dick, as the sheriff and a marine biologist team up with an eccentric, shark-hating fisherman to hunt the man-eater on the open sea. You're gonna need a bigger boat. That's a 20-footer. 25. Three tons on him. Jaws was a phenomenal hit, creating the template for the summer blockbuster movie, and also sparking a pop-cultural fascination with sharks that has lasted until this day. Jaws capitalized on our fear of what dwells beneath us as we tread water, of what may be lurking just beyond our ability to see. Just as Psycho made people uneasy about taking showers, Jaws made people think twice about going to the beach. Jaws. See it before you go swimming. To say Jaws' impact on the killer animal genre was big is perhaps understating things. Exploitation filmmakers in America and Italy and elsewhere were quick to churn out quickie imitations such as Mako, the Jaws of Death, Orca, the Killer Whale, Tentacles, and Piranha. Piranha. They're here. They're hungry. They'll eat you alive. Who can stop them? But there were land variants as well. There was Grizzly, Alligator, Razorback, the rabid St. Bernard in Cujo, and much, much more. No one believed it. No, no one will forget Alligator. When the plot called on an animal to be bigger than normal, filmmakers resurrected old themes from the 1950s giant creature cycle. But instead of atomic radiation causing abnormal growth, other, more timely forms of mutation were introduced to the mix, such as toxic waste and gene experimentation. Another thing these Jaws imitators have in common is our expectation that in the third act, our human protagonist will face the beast in a final confrontation. It's a plot point that echoes Moby Dick, of course, but it's also derived from some of the oldest stories in Western civilization, including the Greek myth of Theseus and the Minotaur. The genre may have fizzled out eventually, but it got a massive restorative jolt in 1993, again from Steven Spielberg, 
This time, his landmark dinosaurs and modern times thriller, Jurassic Park. Welcome to Jurassic Park. We've made living biological attractions so astounding that they'll capture the imagination of the entire planet. Essentially, the Jaws clones continued, but now filmmakers were taking advantage of breakthroughs and computer-generated special effects to show things that previously could only be hinted at or left off-screen entirely to our imaginations. In movies like Anaconda and Eight-Legged Freaks, the creatures are capable of doing much more on screen due to being computer-animated, but consequently, something else, perhaps more important, has been lost in the process. Because in spite of all the razzle-dazzle you get from CGI, a lot of the edginess we should feel during animal attack scenes is now largely gone. I personally miss the genre's heyday of the 1970s when real actors were pitted against real animals. Whenever you deal with trained animals, or in some cases, completely untrainable ones like spiders, there's always an element of unpredictability in those encounters. Consequently, the the tension coming from the actors in these older films seems so much more genuine, probably because a lot of times it was for real. And that makes these movies a lot scarier, in my opinion, and a lot more fun. The next milestone in the genre came in 2003, when the movie Open Water took the found footage concept that was popularized in the Blair Witch Project and applied it to a scenario about a stranded diving couple having to fight for their lives against hungry sharks. Daniel, where's the boat? That's a good question. As we are stuck in the middle of the ocean. Oh, God. Oh. It's okay. It's okay. Open Water was the first in a new wave of survival horror films. The plots of these movies are simple. Take a few white, privileged, 20-something hipsters, send them out on an outdoors vacation that they're woefully ill-prepared for, and then watch everything go to hell. With the addition of attacking animals, a new hybrid subgenre was born. Some of these movies add on the gimmick of being based on a true story. In The Reef... The survivors of a capsized boat attempt to swim a dozen miles back to a reef in shark-infested waters. In Black Water, a trio of vacationers is stranded in trees after a croc eats their tour guide. And in Back Country, a hiking couple is terrorized by a hungry grizzly. It was perhaps inevitable that global warming would be the next catalyst for animals' revenge on mankind. The genre parody Sharknado and all of its risible sequels and spinoffs were the first to jump on this bandwagon. But most recently, there was Crawl, directed by Alexandra Aja, the French horror specialist who gave us High Tension and Piranha 3D. It's a somewhat more serious attempt in which a Category 5 hurricane pushes alligators into a family's flooded home. The state of Florida has issued a Category 5 hurricane warning. All residents must evacuate immediately. Grab your families, your loved ones, and get out. Dad! We won't be able to come for you. Dad! I think one of the things coming out of that overview that kind of struck me was just how big 
the genre is and how it just transcends, not even genre, the animal attack motif, if you will, like how it just transcends genres and then gives birth to all these little sub genres. Right. I mean, like, you know, in this episode, we're going to, you know, we're looking at four films.